Okay, we got another minute to let everyone get settled, and then we'll get to it. While we are doing that, I forgot to pray before the last one, so I would like to start out with a word of prayer, if you would join me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask you for a great blessing upon every woman in this room today, that you, in your infinite wisdom, have um, amazing truths to share that will change our lives, that will help us to uh, make it all the way to victory. I pray, Father God, that you would open our hearts and our ears to be ready to receive that. Holy Spirit, have your way in this room today. Make your presence known. You're welcome here. We want you to be a part of this. I ask, Lord, that you would help every word, every example, every bad joke be directly from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now that I'm officially embarrassed, uh, we can begin. So... I want to do a quick recap of last week, and there was some stuff that I didn't have time to get to because, as you all have come to realize, I am a little long-winded. So I want to start with the recap of our kind of main text story. We have the, um, the disciples and Jesus who just fed the 5,000 amazing miracles, and then Jesus told them to get in the boat. So this is in Matthew chapter 14. So they get in the boat, and they're heading across to the other side. I, think, I believe it's the Sea of Gennesaret, and, and then all of a sudden things get pretty bad. It says, the, um, in verse 24, it says, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, and the wind was very contrary. Anyone have a child who can be contrary <laughs> once in a while? Husband? Okay, so you get the implication of contrary. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, so 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him, they were troubled and said, oh my God, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, be of good cheer. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. So he said, come. And Peter came down out of the boat and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But verse 30, when he saw so when he took his eyes off Jesus, when he saw that the wind was boisterous or very strong and mighty and fearful, he was then afraid. And beginning to sink, he became overwhelmed. So it's clear if we take our eyes off of Jesus or off of his word, it's easy to see the storms and waves and wind and all of these things and get distracted, be a little bit fearful. And then, as any mom knows, overwhelmed is not a good place to be. So he said, crying out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And we talked about what that doubt meant. It's just meaning when you're believing God for something, decide not to waver. When you find what the scripture says about your issue, you stand on the scripture and you don't waver and you don't listen to the lies or you don't look at the doctor's report or what your bank account says. You look at what the word says. And that, those are the things that you, you stick to so that you don't get overwhelmed. And so that's our main text. I'm going to touch on a couple of the... Is anyone else hot in here? No? Okay. Just, okay. Praise the Lord. Not just me. <laughs> Woo! Okay. So number one, we said God is more than enough. We said that El Shaddai, which is one of the names of, of the Lord God in the Bible, in the King James Version specifically, the very anointed old-style King James Version, and that means the all-sufficient one or the God who is more than enough. We talked about how he is also Jehovah Jireh or the Lord will provide. Or another version says the Lord sees ahead and provides. So your issue or problem or storm is of no surprise to God. He's already seen it. And he's already making a way of provision even if we haven't seen it yet. Amen? Yeah. And then the part that I had to skip so that we could have discussion in the group, we got talking about the discussion. I thought, oh, man, that was really important. So I'm going to touch on it super fast. Psalms 145, 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, working on, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. So he is full of compassion, which is why he came to the world to save the sinners. It says he showed compassion to both the sinner and, <clears throat> excuse me, the bodies and the souls of men. He healed their bodies and gave wisdom to their souls. He is of great mercy. He, the Bible talks about how he is a merciful high priest and um, through whom God is merciful to all sinners. Matthew Henry 
commentary. He's very, very good if you ever get a chance to check out some stuff. I'm just going to lightly touch on four scriptures in Matthew um, where it talks about he was moved for compassion for them. Okay, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Matthew 9, 36. Matthew 14, 14 says he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and he healed all their sick. Compassion is one of the characteristics of God and he moves when he sees a need. Anyone have a need this morning? If everyone didn't raise their hand, I'm going to just pretend that's what happened because, no, no, no judgments. Keep writing. The point is, the Lord told me last week in worship, which was fantastic worship, and, and I was just praising the Lord and, and just telling him how much I want to be a servant for him in this opportunity to share the word. And he touched my heart so deeply when he said, there's so many needs. Every one of us has a need. We have something that we desperately need God's help in. And today's one of the days where we learn how to get there. The provision is ready. How do we get it? It's like this great little treasure map. It's not hidden. He's given you the map. I would hold up my Bible if that was in front of me. He's given you the map and every tool that you need and his presence along the way. So hold your need in your hand today and be ready to learn because we all, no matter what stage of relationships, we are in the Lord. Whether you've been a Christian for 35 years or three months, it doesn't matter. We're all on our own journey with the Lord. Amen? So it says in Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called the disciples and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they were with me for three days and nothing to eat. Matthew 20, 34, God, or so Jesus had compassion, touched their eyes, immediately their eyes received sight. So that's the, the section that we skipped. And I wanted to just touch on it briefly because I know that sometimes it's easy to see the judgment of God or the wrath of God or the, all these tough things, but his heart is so soft for each and every one of us, that whatever your need is, he sees it. He sees you in the middle of it. And he is moved with compassion to move on your behalf, right? And then the final point we made last week was open the door to God and his will and shut the door to the devil. Um, both God and the devil want access to our lives, and you are the doorkeeper of your life. You decide to open it to good things or to keep it closed for bad things, hopefully in that order. John 10.10 10, um, says the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus told them, I have come that they would have life and have it more abundantly. So as we continue to open the door to the things that God is showing us, to the presence of the Holy Spirit, to the word of God, then we'll start to see that more and more abundantly. And 3 John 2, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, there's only one chapter. Beloved, that's you and me, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So he has great things in mind for us. It is his will for us to be abundant and prosperous. And so how do we get there? Well, let's talk about that. I'm attempting to use the iPad this week, so hopefully I don't have all the papers everywhere. So in John 8, chapter, sorry, chapter 8, verse 12, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, this is the NIV version, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, and I, when I was in college, I went to um, Bible college in Oklahoma. And I was one night um, just kind of by myself, me and the Lord, and I was sitting at my desk and doing some homework and reading the Bible. And I just closed my eyes. I was really, really sleepy. I'm pretty sure it was right in the middle of conditioning. I played basketball, and it was, it was a very tiring first couple months. And uh, I think I'm pretty sure I fell asleep on top of the Bible. But I had just like a little mini, it was like a great pillow. Um, I had like a little mini dream. And it was literally, I didn't, I didn't see any faces. I just kind of saw me and Jesus. And I just knew in my heart that it was Jesus. We were holding hands. We were walking, you know, down the road or whatever. And, and every time I would see a Bible and a page turn, we would take a step, the two of us together. And then another page would turn and I would take another step. And another page would turn and I would take another step. And it was like the Lord really, really showing me that you can't move without the Lord if you want to do it his way. And you find out his will and his way by the word. And that word lightens up the path. That word is Jesus. He is the word. In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. And it says, I am the light of the world. So the word is the light of our life. 
And it says, you will never walk in darkness if you follow me, but you will have the light of life. So it's not just enough nowadays in 2021 to just love the Lord. Not, not if you want to live the life of your dreams, because that is the life that God dreamed for you, the one that he put in your heart. If you have dreams and aspirations of things, it's because God put them there. I mean, unless they're super worldly, because then you probably just need more Bible. Um, <laughs> to do this very thing I'm going to talk about next, my first point is renewing your mind. This is the greatest application of the Word of God you can ever do, and I also, in my personal opinion, it's the hardest for me. Because when life gets really, really busy, it's easy to just read a half a chapter in your Bible and close it, and, and then your kids are awake 45 minutes earlier than they're supposed to be, and there goes that, right? So sometimes it's hard to get in the Word, but now, in 2021, we have... Technology is not good for a lot of things, but it is good for a lot of things. So we have Bible apps, and we have people that will read the Bible to us and read books to us and you know, podcasts and all these things. Get the word in your life because it will renew your mind, and I want to talk about what that means. Um, naturally, we tend to think the worst-case scenario, and I get that from Job, right? Everyone's like, oh, Job had the hardest life, but then he got double for his trouble. That is the simplest highlight there is. But I want to point out in chapter 3, verse 20, excuse me, 25, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. He focused nonstop on all the bad things that were happening. And so as he accidentally meditated on all the terrible, which they were terrible. They were terrible things. I don't wish that on anybody, not even Job. But we all get in that position where it just seems really overwhelming and really awful to deal with. And instead of being fearful of what might happen because our brains automatically think of the worst case scenario or maybe the top 10 worst case scenarios. But that's not what God does. He has victory in mind. He has a way to get there. So if we go to the Father and let him witness to our heart and get in the word, some things will change and it won't be so hard to imagine the victory versus imagine the defeat. So in Romans 12, 12, sorry, 12, 2, this is the amplified version. It says, do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external and superficial customs, but be transformed or changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideas and new attitude, so that you may prove yourselves what is that good and acceptable and the very perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. So I wanted to show you a couple of pictures, okay? For those of us who are not in college anymore, we have this normal looking, don't bash me over my guess of the age, 55 year old worker drone who hates going to the office every day on my right. And then all of a sudden a hair and makeup transformation and she looks like a 35 year old weather girl. This, this is transformation, ladies. If, I mean, if you are, the, that is the same woman. I double-checked. I got another one. Watch this. We have a sweet, innocent college girl in a cute little tank top. And then we have influencer with tons of cleavage in the second one. Right? Transformation, perception, her stance, all of it. It's a, it looks like two totally different people. But you know what? They just did a transformation. So no matter how muddy our mind can become, the word transforms our minds just by intaking it. Right? You don't have to put in the work of the transformation. You put in the work of, ooh, going to sleep. You put in the work of getting the word in because it's the word that renews our minds. So you could then go from the beat down woman in the middle of a storm to a completely transformed victorious woman even if you don't actually see the victory with your regular eyes. Because of the word you'll picture it with your inner eyes, with the eyes of your spirit. We need this transformation in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. Because your spirit gets saved but your mind doesn't. And we gotta work on that. We have work to do. 
right? We're always getting our kids to, you got to do this because it's good for you, and I want you the best for you, so I, right? This is what we do to everyone around us. We encourage our friends, and we do all these. We need to focus on ourselves today and say, I got work to do. Because even if you've been a Christian for 35 years and you've been working on this for a good solid 20 years, I still have a lot of work to do. And so let's get to it. Romans, this is the Passion Translation. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Hello. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through the reformation or reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will and as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So conformed means conformed to another's example. The world is like this age, this culture, this time. And transformed, the Greek word, I'm just going to tell you strictly because it's a fun word, um, because I have the other Greek words here, and I don't know how to pronounce them, so we're just going to let those go. But transformed is metamorpho. Hilarious to me. I don't know why. But it means transformed or transfigured by a supernatural change. So nothing you can do in your spirit, in your mind. You just read the word of God. You confess the word of God. You listen to the word of God. And God does all the work to change the thinking of your mind. Amen? Amen? So it says in Philippians 4, uh, verse 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about these things. There was nothing negative in there. There was not a negative report. There is not room for that. Frankly, we don't really have time to dwell on the negative because it just brings us down. And there's too many things and too many people and too many of this and that that need us to be victorious, not to put pressure on you. Because for the kingdom, I am a better friend when I am not wallowing in the mess that my life is. I'll just give you a little personal example. Did not plan on this. Um, I took a pregnancy test yesterday, and it was negative. And we've been trying for a long time. And I'm not going to go through the journey because it's not important at this moment. But for the first time this month, in a long time, when I saw the negative response, which I wanted so desperately to be positive, I didn't get really upset. There was a little twinge of sadness but I was able to remember that God had a plan for me. And that plan must mean that while he promised me a baby that I didn't ask for and now that I want desperately, and he's got a perfect timing. So it doesn't matter if I say, September's our month. I'm going to confess September was our month. And just because I didn't get the answer I wanted, I'm going to keep confessing October is my month. But it felt so good, you guys, to not be so down in the emotions of what is happening around us. I had to keep that pregnancy test out on the counter all afternoon so that my husband could see it when he came home because I would forget to tell him and then he'd ask me and then we'd have a, you know. So every time I went in the bathroom, you see it and it didn't hurt. I didn't love it, <laughs> but it didn't sting because God's got a great plan. You know what one of my good friends said to me today? God has such a great plan that he knows exactly when that baby has to be born because he's going to be a blessing. And if I rush it because I want it now or because it'll work better with our insurance. <laughs> Let's be real. When you're adults, you have to think of those things. <laughs> I'm not in charge, but I am in charge of me. So I was so grateful and thankful to the Lord for doing that work in my life that I wasn't down and out. What if, what if, throwing this out there, the devil was like, ooh, I'm going to use that negative test to bring her down so that she can't share the word of God today. He does those things. He's not infallible. He doesn't know everything. He's just a little contriving and deceiving. And we choose. I'm going to choose to renew my mind with the word of God so I don't think like I used to and can move on so much faster. So my second point is faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and understanding the word of God. So in Romans 10, 17, that is legitimately the scripture. 
So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And for the longest time, I really just thought, boy, that is why my dad repeats everything all the time because God repeats everything and it's really annoying, but I'm just going to have to get on board. No, turns out it's just that important. You can't hear something one time, grasp every ounce of it, and then live it for the rest of your life. You have to keep it up. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. And now I'm, you know, in a position where I finally understand where my dad's coming from, old good old Pastor Red, and then I can actually repeat it. And it no longer drives me nuts. Now I'm like, ooh, that's good stuff. Give it to me. Because it's no longer about my dad. It's the word, right? He said hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then in the NIV, it says consequently. So there's consequences to your actions. And if your action is to hear the word of God and continue hearing the word of God and continue getting in your Bible, consequently, faith will come because you heard the message. That's good stuff. So um, Matthew Henry says this, how welcome the gospel ought to be to those to whom it was preached. Now, think about it. Culturally, they did not have access to a Bible like we do. They didn't have this great old Bible app that I use all the time to look up scriptures whenever I'm thinking about stuff. They didn't have any of those things. They had maybe a book or maybe a couple books in their synagogues, and the priests or the rabbis would share it, and that's all the access they had. So they kind of had to, you know, get themselves to as many services as they could to hear the word. Or to sit under Jesus. Can you imagine going to church and spending like 12 hours at church sitting on the floor with nothing to eat? I'm going to tell you, first world problems. I'm so glad we have chairs and bathrooms and snacks and coffee stations. Right? I, God did not, he knew I did not belong with the disciples. Uh, I love camping, but glamping is even better. So... <laughs> It says, the gospel is given not only to be known and believed, but also the, to then be obeyed. It is not a system of notions or ideas, but the rule of practice or the map I'm talking about. It says, the beginning, the progress, and the strength of faith is by hearing, but it is only hearing the word as the word of God that will strengthen your faith. So hearing stuff does not build your faith, but hearing the word of God does. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith, this is one of my favorite quotes. Um, no, this is not it, but this is a good one too. Sorry. It says, faith is where the promises and the work of God are made real to his redeemed. It is acting on that promise. So um, Colossians, no, Corinthians. Oh, I didn't even write first or second. That is terrible. One of the Corinthians <laughs> it's a mystery. Uh, a prize to the person who finds out and brings it back next week. It says in chapter 4, verse 18, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is only temporary in this world, but the unseen is eternal. <clears throat> the best example I have of that is when the word of God becomes so real to you, it is so just implanted and ingrained in your heart, in your complete makeup, that no one can talk you out of it, right? The first time, I, this is not a good example for me because I got saved at three years old, so I don't even remember what that's like. But I have seen and talked with people who have gotten saved as young adults or adults, and they said the word was so real to them, and their experience with Jesus and the saving of their souls was so fantastic that no one could ever talk them out of being a Christian, Right? Because the word changes your mind, but it's also an experience that God does inside. And no one can take that away from you. So it says, fix your eyes on not what is seen, but is unseen. Second Corinthians, thank you so much. Great, now I gotta bring a prize. <laughs> it says, therefore, they that walk by faith do not desire the things that are seen. Neither are they the object of the pursuit? Isn't that interesting that sometimes what we want so desperately a knife is actually not your pursuit? So really, the baby that we're believing God for is not the end goal. It feels like it. It does. Especially when it's been a long time. Or things come up in the middle that, you know, make it tougher. But that's not the end goal. What is this, what is this that God told me that we were going to do? going to be a blessing. 
I'm going to be a, a good mom that teaches this kid about Jesus. And this kid is going to teach other people about Jesus. And we're going to live our lives for the kingdom of God. Not just about a baby I can hold, which I'm looking forward to, which I picture myself doing all the time. I just bought for $1.75 at Meijer, there's not many left, in clearance, a tiny pair of Crocs, little Croc sandals. Because when we were believing God for to have baby number two, our sweet daughter crew, we bought a sticker, just something to like see. It's like an, a step of faith, and I, we put it on our fridge. And we had this sticker, it's a little Mickey sticker, because our son loved Mickey at the time. And it says, Big Brother. And we were looking forward to the day. It took us 11 months. We were looking forward to the day when we could put that sticker on him and take a picture and share with the world that we were having baby number two. So this time, we bought some Crocs. <laughs> or I did, and then told my husband about it later. He said, oh, we needed those? I said, yes, for $1.75, we needed a faith statement. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> put in those words, they don't really argue much, so that's cool. Um, Colossians 3.1, it says, since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. And it, the word also says that Jesus is on his right hand always making intercession for us, always talking to God for us, seeing our needs, talking it out, figuring out... I mean, when I say figuring out, I don't mean like we do, where we like make plans and do all these things. God already has that. Because he's Jehovah Jireh. He sees the need and provides. So, but when we keep our eyes on where they're supposed to be, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. So if you want to live your life by faith and not how it feels, because we all have emotions. I probably have marginally more than the average woman. <laughs> and that's okay. Because while I used to consider that a weakness, I did, you guys. I didn't cry. I didn't ever ask for help. I didn't cry. I didn't, I just, I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted to be the tough lady that everyone could depend on. I wanted to be so much like my dad without being a man. And I never wanted anyone to say I was weak. I don't know what, I mean, I do. I've delved into that. We're not going to get into that here. But that was my thing, right? And then the Lord slowly opened my eyes to asking for help is actually a good thing. Admitting that you need something that you can't provide for yourself is actually a good thing. That was a process. My early 20s were a lot of self-development, you guys. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Did you know this? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are called the sons of God. That is like my second favorite scripture in the whole Bible. Romans 8, 14. So, there are so many things in this world that want to tear us down, divide us. Does anyone else know another denomination that has a lot of judgments about this church or another church or another denomination or this or that or a thousand other things. I don't like the prosperity gospel. I don't like that. Who cares, you guys? We all love Jesus, right? But that's the devil's tool, divide and conquer. We are not to be divided anymore, not over COVID, not over masks, not over vaccines. I have very strong opinions, as I'm sure most of you do in this room. But really, in the scheme of life, if you ask me about my opinion, I will gladly tell you. If you don't ask, I've learned to keep my mouth shut because it's not about those things. It's about the kingdom and what God wants to do in your life and in my life, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our friends, and all the people that we come in contact with. There is a reason that we are called impact. Because whether you realize it or not, you impact at least a handful of people every day, even if you are only the mom in the carpool line. Because people see you, whether they talk to you or not. There, when I get in the carpool line, there is a lady that walks by all of the cars. We have little uh, signs with our last name on it. So they know which kid to like pull out and kind of get in line and get them ready. And I try to be within the first six or seven cars every single time because I don't like waiting in the long line after. I would rather wait before, get some work done on my phone, hang out with my daughter, and then pick up my son and go. That's just my preference. But that woman that walks by every morning, or I mean every afternoon, I, I don't see her smile a lot. 
So every time she looks at me, I don't care if I am having a rough time or not. I don't care if I just accidentally yelled at my daughter and then apologized. I smile at her. Because even that smile is an impact. Every single person. What if we were just ready for that every time? What if we were just able to put aside what the devil was doing to try to destroy or kill or steal from us and say, that's not the end result. So I'm going to look toward the prize. And I'm going to be an impact where I am right now because God will use me. He would be defeated so fast. He gets discouraged. He gets angry. He throws fits like a toddler. I love it. And he might try to attack you again. And you do the same thing because the map works every single time. God made us to be victorious. He made us in his image. Lisa Harper calls us image bearers. That's phenomenal to me. I've never thought of it like that. We were made in the image of God to be victorious, to get through so that in the middle of the storm, we're not wrecked. We're not like Peter, where we're brave at first and we walk out on the waters, fantastic, speaking the word and being encouraging, and then you get, you know, the fifth bad doctor's report or another huge bill comes in that you weren't looking for, or you got passed over for a promotion, or a hundred other things. Maybe your kid just smacked you in the face on accident slash purpose again, and you're having like the worst day of your life. No, just me? Okay. One day this week, crew literally smacked me in the face, just a smack left hand, and I said, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm sure a better mom would know what to do. Got a time out. Never mind. Um, it's not about me. So I'm going to encourage you. And when I say encourage, I mean it. Stop listening to the news. Stop listening to the angry world around you, the bad doctor's report. Stop looking at a low bank account and all the bills. Stop complaining about your problems or nagging your adult kids into going to church. Stop listening to the lies that the devil is whispering in your ear about you or about your situation, and instead, be led by the Holy Spirit, because they that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We have that ability. They didn't have that back in the day. The Holy Spirit didn't come until after, after Jesus. He said, I go so that a comforter can come, and that will benefit you even more. How do you get in tune to the Holy Spirit? You read the Word, renew your mind, your heart gets soft because it's in tune with the word and you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and ask him. He's our comforter, our guide, our helper. The sons of God are led by the spirit of God, not what is roaming and crashing all around us. We get enough of that with our eyes. Do you know the only way the devil can really get at you or get into your life is by your eyes and your ears. You have the option to repeat those things or to tell it to go away. It's a lot of personal responsibility. Some days I'm like, yeah, I'm up for it. And then other days I'm like, oh, God, I got to do this again. So I get it. It's tough. How humiliated do you think Peter was? This is just my personal take on this. How humiliated do you think Peter was? <laughs> We're running out of time. I still have a whole third point to do, so I think we're just going to skip discussion time today and get it done so that we can get to what we need to talk about on next week. Anyway, my thoughts on Peter, just a personal, I didn't like dig deep in any, you know, unfound biblical translation. If it was me and I was brave enough to walk on water and then I sank, I would feel like a failure. First... I would be so thankful that Jesus saved me again and then walked me on the water back to the boat. But then, you guys, I would feel like a failure. Has anyone ever failed or messed up or we're doing this great faith walk and then, you know, something else hit and it just seemed like too much and we were overwhelmed like Peter? You guys, that's totally normal. I still have to tell myself that. It's normal. It doesn't matter if I've been a Christian for a long time or not. It doesn't matter if I've been reading the Word and having a real relationship with God for a long time or not. It honestly is just how lives go. But are you going to bounce back quick? 
or are you going to stay down there? Are you going to be on the roller coaster of life, or are you going to just keep rising? I say we rise. And God's made a way for that to happen. He doesn't want to leave us in the valley of shadow and death. He wants to walk us out. So George Muller, I'm going to read this because it's really cool, and then I'll get to my third point. It says, the beginning of anxiety or worry is the end of faith. Whoa. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. So it's like, which is bigger? The problem you're facing or your God? El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, who's moved with compassion for you. Well, it's not your problem. Because he's already got a way out. If he could orchestrate as the master, the chess master, and orchestrate that every single one of us would be called by him to be saved so we could spend forever and eternity in heaven in a relationship with the Heavenly Father, but he had to do it by sending his own son. I mean, all of these things, like there's no way you could figure this out on your own. How do I get, all right, Jesus, Holy Spirit, planning meeting before the world was created. How, we know this stuff's going to happen. Let's figure out every little detail to give these people a wonderful life on earth before they even get to heaven. We're just ambassadors here, you guys. We're just here temporarily. We are here to be ministers of the gospel. We're here to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world. And you can't do that if you're down and depressed and overwhelmed and sinking in the water. We do that by walking on it. By showing others that it's not by being fake and saying, oh, I'm always... I'm always perfect. Everyone's like, oh, hey, how's your day? Great, I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. You don't have to be fake. I would say we all know those people at Bible school, but I don't know how many people went to Bible school. So you all know those people at church, right? They, some people are just fake. In church or out of church, it's not a judgment. They're human. Sometimes I am a fake it till you make it girl. I was in ministry for full time for a very long time, and I'll be really honest. You don't share the journey with the parishioners. You can't because they're looking at you for the answers. So you share the victories. And then when you get the victory, you can share the whole journey. And it is fantastic, but it's tough. In a really small town, there was me and my brother and my mom and my dad. Can I just say I'm really thankful for my friend Posse? Because <laughs> I didn't have that up there. We were a very tight-knit group because you couldn't share everything. So I get it, it's not about being fake or this or that, but what I'm saying is share when it's necessary and celebrate the rest. So my third point is this, find his word, which is also his will in the scriptures. Write it down, repeat. I will give you just a little hack. If you say the scriptures out loud, your brain hears them. Your heart hears them. The devil hears them. So you're not just renewing your mind. You're putting everything into place. You're reminding the devil, I know what this says, and I don't have to listen to you. Oh, you got me good yesterday, but I'm not going to stay down because I know what the word says. And my God, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, is moved with compassion for me in my need because he loves me. So I gave you a list of scriptures last week, and that is just a beginning. That's just a beginner, right? So if you have a need and it's, if it's on that paper, go find two more scriptures to go with it and stand on the scriptures. Because if you don't have a scripture as your anchor, it's easy to be tossed. Anyone heard Pastor Karen's example of the sailboat and how the anchor held them steady in a really terrible storm? That's the word of God for our lives. And so I'm going to encourage you. Jesus did the exact same things. You have to absolutely shut down and shut out the enemy's thoughts, fears, and doubts. And it sometimes sounds really hard, but it's doable. And Jesus is our example. In Matthew 4, it says, um, it talked to, I'm not going to read the whole thing because we don't have time. But basically, um, Jesus got filled with the Holy Spirit and then was sent into the wilderness for 40 days and nights with no food. Anyone going to be hungry? Need their coffee. Um, so the devil, or the tempter, came to 
haha, tempt Jesus to stray from his path, from his calling, from his purpose, from the things that God had set before him. Three different times, the deceiver, the liar, the tempter, the devil, he tempted him with something. And you know what Jesus did? Every single time he quoted the word. Every time. Not two out of three, guys. So the devil might come back. You quote the word, he goes away. He stops bothering you. Comes back with the same thing or maybe a more intensified version of all these thoughts and all these ideas that are not godly. Shut him down with the word. Because if you keep doing that, eventually he'll go away discouraged. And I really like the mental picture that that brings. I like that the devil, the, da, 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 the devil discouraged and down and out. I like where it appears that God is victorious, right? Because he is, and I want more people to see that in my life so that they can be like, wow, if she can do that, I can do that. That's our world. People are watching you on social media, on church, whether they are, I mean, at church, on church, whatever, at church, wherever you go, in the store, at the coffee place, in this room, people are watching. It's not to put more pressure on, it's to encourage you. You have a great impact, and God has a great plan, and he wants you to succeed. So he's given you the way to do that. So if Jesus can do that, we can do it too. Jesus knew the word, it had renewed his mind, and then he spoke it out over and over until the devil left him alone. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's an order. But you shall meditate it or think on it over and over and over, day and night. That you will observe to do according to everything that's written in it. So a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And it says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Prosperity and success comes with the word. Proverbs 4, um, my dad used to call this his medicine verse. Proverbs 4.20, my son or daughter, give attention or pay attention or look at my words. Incline like this. Incline your ear to my sayings. Really take it in. It says, do not let them depart from your eyes. So that infers you could let them depart from your eyes. And when you do, you'll get attacked. And so bring the word back in and push him away, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible says that. It doesn't say resist the devil one time and you'll be good for the rest of your life. Cheers. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be, <laughs> that would be like heaven on earth almost. Um, but it says, for these words, it says, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life. Another version says medicine to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart or hold your heart with all diligence for out of it will spring issues of life and abundance. So your actions are this. Pay attention, incline your ear, keep them in your heart constantly, and be diligent to keep your heart safe or protected like the opening and the closing of the door we talked about. So you can have faith in one area and not in another. That doesn't make you a bad Christian. It means you may be ignorant of what the Word says on that. So go find out. Some people I know, and just this is my experience in ministry, um, are, are really, like, believing for finance is a really easy thing. But they have no idea how to believe God for healing. They're just worried and fearful and go to the doctor and, you know, 5,000 times for a, you know, a cold or whatever. This is the exaggeration version because I'm not calling anybody out. But my point is this. Um, I believe God to heal me for all kinds of things. I mean, my back almost didn't work anymore at 19. And my, my biggest dream in life at that point was to play college basketball. And I thought it would never happen. And through the word, I had a great chiropractor, but through the word, God healed my back. And I'll, I'll be really, really honest, still to this day, 20-some years later, um, the devil will bring twinges of that back. Or thoughts like, oh, that's your back problems. It didn't, didn't ever totally go away. And I'm like, okay, no, I really just, I'm over 40, guys. Right? Your body doesn't quite work like a 20-year-old anymore. And so if I'm, you know, wrestling extra hard with my 6-year-old and I tweak my back because he jumped on me in a funny way, that doesn't mean I have back problems the rest of my life. But the devil brings that back. And every time my back hurts, I think of that for 20 years. But what I've learned to do is say, no, I don't accept that. In Jesus' name, I'm the healed of the Lord. God healed me and set me free, and I'm going to stay that way. 
but it took me a while to get there. But just because you don't understand one area or like, I, I have never believed God for this before, then get in the word and find out that's literally all you need. He's given you the map. Go find your treasure. In Psalms 1-2, it says, but, he deli- I'm sorry, but his delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The Lord's really trying to tell us something here. Not, not just on Sunday. Not just Thursday morning. Make an effort to get the word in your life every day. I, you know, every morning I woke up. And my dad was at the kitchen table with his Bible open and his coffee, serious coffee breath. He'd been there for hours already. <laughs> He's so ready to go. And I got up with just enough time to get a shower and do my hair before school. And that's when he wanted to chat, 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 chat. And I'm like, oh, God. every morning, you guys. And I did not have a bad relationship with my dad. But mornings, I would rather just not talk to people. I've gotten over that. So, But for hours... Can you say goals? Like I am 40 and I still don't do that. I do make an effort to get up early and to read my Bible, do some Bible study, get in the work in the mornings. But you know what? I also realize I really admire that. I might not do it just like my dad, but I, I do get to listen to podcasts. And I do have access to other things that he didn't have way back when I was in high school. And I want my kids to see that because I admired that of my dad. And now I want my kids to admire that in me, not for selfish reasons, but because the word brings victory. And I so desperately want them to not have to deal with all the things that I deal and on top of the stuff that they do. I want them to see what they can do because of the word of God, because of God's great will for their lives. And so it says, he, his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates there day and night. Find time, carve out time for the word. It will change your life. It makes that storm and the boat and the sinking not feel so bad. It doesn't leave you with those feelings of failure afterwards like I would have felt if I was Peter. Because the word builds up and never lets you down. So really quickly, I want to show, does anyone ever seen graphing trees or like fruit trees or grape trees or anything? So literally, you take two separate trees, or or I guess it can be multiples, and you splice it into this one right here. And then look what happens. It's totally all built up all the way around, and this one tree develops more kinds of fruit. It's stronger, it's healthier, and the reason I point that out is, I I was going to go through all the reasons why grafting trees together, because it's really, really cool, but 2 Timothy 3, it says, every scripture, this is verse 16 and 17, sorry, every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take you the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness, and then... You will be God's servant, fully mature, and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment. So, James 1, 21. It says, Wherefore, having put aside all filthiness and superabundance of evil, in meekness, by receiving the engrafted word that is able to save your souls. The engrafted word is just like this picture. It is divine revelation from the Holy Spirit. And this is what the word does to you. You used to be this unfruitful tree all by yourself. But this is what the word does. It strengthens you and upholds you. It helps you develop fruit you would never develop on your own. And I want to close with this. The first scripture we started out with was John 8, 12. It says, I am the light of the world. And those who embrace me will experience and walk in life-giving light. They will never walk in darkness. So knowing God's will and word and being obedient to it is absolutely the shortest route to seeing God's will done in your life. It's all about the word, you guys. Apply it. 
find it, read it, write it down, put it up in your house, make it plain. I've got scriptures on my fridge and in all of my bathrooms. I literally have Exodus 23, 25, and 26 where it talks about how when you're in covenant with the Lord, there will be no miscarriages or barren women in your land. Every time I go to the bathroom, I see that. It's in a super old, faded, pink post-it note in every mirror of my house because that's what I'm believing God for and I refuse to settle for less. And you know what? The pressure's not on me. God said, I'm going to give you a baby boy. And I said, I don't think I'm ready for a baby boy. Because my daughter was like four months old. I was not thinking about kids. And I said, oh, Lord, okay, I'll, I'll have one, but you better talk to my husband because I'm not doing that job. <laughs> so like four or five months later, my husband come back to me. Ten minutes of prefacing, I thought our relationship was crumbling. And he finally says with tears, I think we're going to have a baby. And I was like, he said, I think it's going to be a boy. And I was like, <laughs> God, I'm so good. Because he promised that to us. So it doesn't matter the process or the journey. Sometimes part of those journeys, they, they stink and it's awful. Sometimes really awful. But there's an end in mind. He promised that he has plans for our good, for our good future. In Jeremiah 11. And we don't have to settle for anything less. And if you keep the word alive and active and in front of you and inside your heart, it'll bring life and medicine to your flesh. It'll renew your mind. It will engraft you with strength and build you up. There is no other way to get God's promises unless you're just standing out there with your hands out waiting for a handout from God. It's not that he doesn't do it. Think about the people. This is my last story because I'm, it's 11.15, guys. How many times are there people out there asking for alms in the Bible? Blind men, crippled men. A, a guy was supposed to jump in the pool every time the angel came down and stirred the water. He'd been trying for years and he never could get in the pool first. How discouraging would that be? That your only hope is when the one time a month an angel comes down and stirs the water. That is not our only hope. The word brings hope. The word brings life. The word opens our eyes to see spiritually what we can't see on our own. Amen? So I want to challenge you today. I, there was, should be, maybe not. I thought there was some, there should have been some group questions. You didn't see any of those from Rachel? Okay, that's fine. My challenge for you today is this. Look at the sheet that I gave you last week. Find at least one scripture of, that, that deals with something you're working on. If it's not on the sheet, this is just... The beginning guide. It's not the master list. Go find your own. But find two or three. And keep them in front of you all week. Keep praying over them. Keep believing them. Keep confessing them and say, God, I believe this is your word and it's your word for my life. And then next week, maybe you get to come back and share a testimony with one of the people at your table. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so, so much for your word. Thank you that it changes our lives. It renews our mind. Thank you that it's doing that right now today, that your word has planted seeds in our hearts that will take root and make changes in our lives forever. Have your way in our lives today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.